We're in James 5, verses 1 to 6 today. We got two more weeks after this in James, and then we'll be at the wrap-up weekend. And I'm pretty excited about wrap-up weekend, so I'm not going to bore you with all the details because I've done it the last few weeks, but that's your opportunity to get up here and to share two to three minutes, which will turn into... Three to five, even though people are afraid of public speaking, we all tend to speak longer than we plan. So if you are willing to come up here, share a verse out of James, and, and, and encourage the body with how God's been working in your heart, we need a few more volunteers. We've had two already, which is great. Being three weeks out from a, a wrap-up service to have two already committed is huge. Dave and I are feeling awesome. But our goal, minimum on a week is, is uh, on a wrap-up week is six. Uh, and then Dave and I will fill in with something, worship team, maybe do an extra song. I would rather have six, eight, ten, twelve of you and cut out other things. Because if you're willing to get up here, get past your fears, share what God's been teaching you from James, I know that we will find encouragement and grow through that. And so uh, I just want to encourage you, come talk to myself, Pastor Dave. Definitely can grab one of the uh, the board members if you can't find either of us. But we'd love to talk to you about what wrap-up week really works like. Or works like. Now, if you weren't here last week, um, I had popped this uh, up on the board here. This is my grandbaby. I won't, I promise I'm not going to do this every single week, but my good friend Tom came in and said, Hey, did you bring any pictures? And I, I went to grab for my cell phone and I said, I don't have my cell phone on me, but yeah, I got some pictures I'll share with you after church. And then he's like, uh, you know, I said last week I put some up there. So then my brain started clicking. I got good worship. You guys are all talking. I hopped into last week's. I pulled out this slide and I put up uh, this slide here. This is Josephine Louise, um, the, the young man there with that nasty mustache. That's my son, who I couldn't be more proud of, but you know, he's an Air Force guy, so they're always pushing the boundaries of how far that thing can go. Uh, his beautiful wife, Anna, and then Josephine Louise, who, yes, we've called J-Lo already. Uh, uh, Josie is what she's going to go by, Josie Lou, uh, and they're in Ohio. And when I got back on the airplane on Sunday to come back to you, you know, to you guys and to the rest of my three kids kids who still live here in Washington, there was a huge chunk of my heart that was left there. And so holding your grandbaby for the first time uh, was, it, I had great friends tell me how incredible it was going to be, and I still didn't, I couldn't prepare myself for it. So uh, it, it was, it was something pretty incredible. But one last look at Josie Lou, and then we're going to, we're going to hop into James because that's why I'm here this morning. But if any of you, like I said last week, if any of you want to grab coffee to talk or just to look at my newest pictures, let me know and I'll meet you anywhere. I'll buy you a cup of Joe and we can talk about my granddaughter. Um, so anyway, man, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, James has been an incredible book. If you have just started attending or if you're just checking us out over the last couple of weeks or even today for the first time, I would encourage you this afternoon to go home and read the book of James. There is so much good in there. James was heavily influenced. He was the brother of Jesus. He was heavily influenced by his brother's teaching, even though he didn't believe in him, uh, uh, on, the, on the, the Sermon on the Mount, what we see in Matthew. And, and a lot of that is reflected 
reflected in what he wrote here. And, and then he also was r- really heavily influenced by the, the book of Proverbs, what we see as the book of Proverbs. Those were ancient scriptures that would have been in the church that day. And so a lot of his teaching reflects the, the teachings of Jesus on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, the Proverbs, uh, which were obviously uh, highly revered and respected. And, and so we've been working our way through this book. And man, I'm telling you, I hope you've been learning stuff and been encouraged in things because I have, and I know Dave has, uh, and the rest of us as pastors, um, it's just been a great opportunity to learn. And today we're going to be looking at riches and, and kind of where we went as, as, uh, Pastor Kevin and Brian are doing a team teach down in Lacey. So the three of us were prepping the sermon this week and we talked a little bit about drugs and because my introduction's already been a little bit long, I'm not going to go into everything we talked about, but just that idea that drugs Right? Are, are, are the drug companies and manufacturers, um, you know, for us who potentially have a need for, let's say, a blood pressure medication or it might be something else for you, diabetes or, or cholesterol, or whatever. These drugs are incredible. They're lifesavers. They allow us to try to regain control of our lives while we, uh, we have these symptoms of, of these things that are affecting our body. So drugs can be a great thing. But then also we talked about just drugs, illegal drugs. What's going on in schools, the, the middle schools, the high schools, uh, the reality of it, the, the workplace for some of you. You see people in the effect of drugs. And, and just so you have the this idea of drugs being a good thing and a bad thing. And, and, and so today, where we're going here is James is going to talk about riches. Okay? Riches. And that you can use them or you can abuse them. And it's kind of the same thing in life, whether it was the, the drug introduction that we had talked about, you can use them for the benefits that they have for you. There's also abuse of those drugs. Maybe it's food for you, right? We're supposed to use food as a fuel, but we can also abuse it if we eat too much and not the right stuff, right? And I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. I love food, but I got to be careful. I need to use it and not abuse it. And today we're going to be looking at this beginning part of James, James chapter five, I should say the beginning part of this and, and looking at riches and the powerful effect that it has on people's lives. So riches includes everything, all kinds of, we kind of were like, I wish it said stuff, right? Stuff. Whether it was money or clothing or cars, your homes. I mean, it could be all kinds of things. That's kind of where we're going with this and where we'll, we'll see the application take us at the end. And, and so we're going to just dive in and, and kind of see what James had to say, what I think God is calling us to and how we can be affected by that. So come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Now, a couple of questions as we read these first few verses, because these are some pretty hard and powerful words that James is writing here. Um, who is he writing to? We always want to ask who's writing, who's he writing to? Well, we know it's James. We've been looking at the book for the last three or four months. We know that James is writing, but here it seems like there's a potential for him to be writing to somebody other than 
who he's been writing to the rest of the book. Do you guys remember? It's kind of a little bit of a test. Just shout it out if you do. What is the word that James has been using for the recipients of this letter? Brethren or brothers. 14 times, 14 times in James, he uses the word brother. Right? He's, and, 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 and brother encapsulates sisters. I know we live in a day and age. We sure would love to see brothers and sisters. But I'm telling you, when he's talking about the brethren, he's talking about all of those who are following the way, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? So this was written to the entire church, to those who were following God, following Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's this idea of brothers or brethren. And we don't see that here in this passage. We'll get back to that in a second. So here we, we want to, we know that he's writing to believers, but he's not necessarily coming down hard on believers. Cause again, we don't see the brethren. So I believe he's still writing to the believers, but about wealthy landowners. You'll remember in James, we talked about the dispersion, right? James is writing this letter to Christians who have been dispersed or scattered outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel. Right? They were under oppression. They had been dispersed. And a lot of them didn't own land. A lot of them were working for people who would have been wealthy landowners. So James here, it appears, is writing to believers about non-believers. Okay? So let's keep looking at these, um, the, the potential of this. Um, he's using this harsh language that although he's been encouraging us as Christians to move forward in a lot of areas, the language has always been kind of encouraging. Like, let's move forward in these areas and, and this direction. And here he's pretty hard on these wealthy landowners or these rich. And, and there's these warnings about this misuse of riches and ultimately what their fate is going to be. We see the idea of judgment, right? There's this judgment passage here going on. James passes judgment on the wicked rich and tells them their eventual fate. Right? This again is, I think, another affirmation that we are seeing James talk about those who are non-believers, these wealthy, rich, and, and what's going to happen to them, even though he's writing to the brothers or the brethren, right? The believers. They're reading these words and, and, and why write about these unbelievers? in a letter to believers, right? So this is a different section. Why did James do that? And, and we think it's for a couple of reasons. So that the believers would, one, not envy their fortune, right? How hard is it sometimes when you're working for somebody and you see what they have and go, man, if I had had this idea a few years before them, I could be the owner of this company and they could be working for me. And I could have like that envious state that we can find ourselves in. And, and, and James is going to say, man, riches can corrupt. Now hear my words. Riches can corrupt. Not saying they always do. Riches can be abused, Right? And cause us, those who have, to abuse those who do not. Right? So that's one thing. Don't envy fortune. The second thing that we see here, two believers about the unbelieving rich or these landowners is relax. God is going to hold the oppressors accountable. And this was an encouragement 
to these people who had been dispersed, who really just wanted to go home. They wanted to go back to Israel, and they couldn't. And they were working for landowners that weren't being fair. They would work and not even get their daily wage. And so not only were they stealing from them, but now you were starving the family and and so on and so forth. So God is going to hold oppressors accountable. And James wants you and I to to know that because it definitely has application for you and I today. He wanted the readers to know that. In light of your suffering and, and your status as poor people, God will be the fair judge and he will judge So no matter what's going on in our lives, how wronged we feel we might be uh, by someone else or something else, we can trust that God is in control and that he will judge, okay? And James wants us to see that. God will judge these days or in the, the next life to come. There is judgment coming to those who oppress. God is saying, I know you're oppressed. Through James's writings, he's, God is acknowledging, I know you got tough things going on in your life. Rest in the idea, take comfort in the idea that I will bring justice. You can rest in that. So let's examine some of the abuses that James is highlighting of these unbelievers as this cautionary tale for, for us as disciples of Christ. Um, and so what we just read there, abuse number one that we saw was the idea of Hoarding. Now, that's a word that's kind of thrown out there. The, the world makes light of it by having TV shows about people who don't ever throw anything away and they got stacks of everything. Um, but here, what James says is your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Wow. When I was sitting around the table, right, we were sitting around the table talking about this passage this week. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, I talked about how much I love to clean out the pantry. You guys remember that? I really do. Clean things up, organize. But what do I do? I throw away things that have gone bad. And part of me had to say to myself, okay, Holy Spirit, are you convicting me right now? Am I careful with my riches? So again, this is being written about unbelieving Christian uh, to the Christians. But when we get to the application part and, and this idea of hoarding, we see that they were hoarding their riches. Their, their, their riches have rotted. We can assume that had something to do with food. And their garment, garments are moth-eaten. Uh, so again, I'm thinking about my pantry. And I'm thinking about throwing away all this, this food that I buy and then I never use. And I, and I found myself going, man, I need to be better at that. That's something I think Holy Spirit was encouraging me to. Now, I've been lucky enough to not have moth-eaten clothes, okay? But I walk into my closet this week, and I look at my shirts, and, and I had to ask myself, not only how many of them have I not worn this month, how many of them have I not worn this year? And again, conviction fell on me. And, and I don't think it's bad conviction, it's a motivation to do better, right? So now I'm looking, I'm thinking about my pantry. I'm thinking about spending less money on groceries because I love to have it in there. But if I don't eat it, what happens? It goes bad. It, it rots. I throw it away. Okay, so that's conviction number one for me. But also this idea of, of the moth-eaten clothes. Just because they're not being moth-eaten, could they do uh, more for someone else that needs them? Can I buy a little less? 
can I give a little bit more? So the conviction is kind of falling on me. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm liking this passage, but it's, it's a little painful, but good pain. Let's keep going here. He says, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure. Uh, yeah, you have laid up treasure in these last days. So again, at this point, I'm thinking Holy Spirit that he was writing about these non-believers, right? These non-believer rich people. And yet I had to stop and I had to pause and I had to say that the three things that these uh, landowners were hoarding were food stuff, commodities, right? Oils and grains likely, uh, and, and that they were going bad. They were rotting clothing and then gold and silver. And those were signs of wealth in those days. The landowners had that stuff. They had so much that they couldn't use it all. It was rotting away. It wasn't doing anybody any good, right? Food goes bad. Clothing in a lot of cases, just sits there, but it could be moth-eaten, and then gold and silver, like they're tarnishing. It might not corrode, the word here that, that, that James is using, but it just sits there, and it's of no value, and it can get to the place where it's not even beautiful anymore. You can clean it up, but it's not even beautiful anymore, and they're just hoarding it, and they're keeping it for themselves. James says that all this decay will serve as evidence against the non-believers when God judges. Okay, so that's what James is saying to believers who are being abused by these home or these landowners that God will judge them for what they are doing or not doing. And, and similar, uh, similarly, this idea of their flesh rotting away for eternity is kind of that picture that sometimes we get uh, about an eternity without God. Those who have chosen to reject God and go their own way, the idea of it's not going to be life for them after their death. Everything will rot away. And rot and corrosion will consume not only their stuff, but themselves. Remember the selfish ambition that James has been talking about, right? That's hoarding wealth, right? It's the epitome of selfish ambition. How can I get more? How can I get more for myself? How can I stockpile it even though I'll never use it? It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And James concludes with, you have laid up treasure in the last days. And again, I think that James had in mind Matthew 6, right? The Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. James remembered what Jesus had said. The last days here that he's talking about, uh, we're in this last phase of God's redemptive plan. We are waiting. You and I are waiting for Jesus Christ's return. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you're a believer and you understand the scriptures, you know that Jesus Christ could return at any moment. And we're living a life with the hopeful expectation of that. Amen? Yeah, every day. We have no clue what the next minute will bring, let alone hour or, or day or week. 
We are waiting for Jesus Christ's return. And so we, you and I, need to prepare ourselves for that moment. So that when we uh, stand before God, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And in light of that, he is going to be looking at your treasure, your life. What have you done with what he has given you? What story does your closet tell? What story does your pantry tell? What story does your bank account tell? James wants you to look ahead, urgently prepare yourself and others, if at all possible, for the return of Jesus Christ. And as children of God, our hearts need to align with God's hearts. And that's why it's so important to continue to read your Bible, because God will show you through Scripture, every book almost, He will direct you in how you need to live in light of your material possessions. It's so important. God exemplifies the complete opposite of hoarding. Our understanding of hoarding, God is opposite of that. He has riches like we can't even imagine, right? The phrase that the, the, the pastors, when I was in the old Baptist church as a kid, they would say he was, a, he was the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills, right? God had more than enough for all his children. And I'm not making fun of that. I believe that and it's true. But that's what they would use as kind of that idea. This, that God has enough for everyone. And yet... Even in his riches and his right to be God, he gave us life. He graciously gave us the chance to be forgiven and and accept salvation through Jesus Christ. He gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us purpose in life. He gives rewards to us for serving him and others. Right? We see that in the book of Revelation. And his biggest gift will come after the last days. And, and that's what James here is speaking of. In, in verse four, we'll say, we'll start reading there again. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. James continues on writing to these rich, about these rich landowners, uh, and, and he says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields are, are being held against them. You're, you're holding them. You're not giving them to them. And the, the cries of those harvesters, those workers has reached God. Scholars estimate that 80% of people in that day and age were day laborers. They would work and literally take home that day what they were paid. Okay? That's historical. That's not out of scripture. That, just go look in the history books. That's what was happening. The landowners were very rich. They had a lot. You would come and work for them for the day, and then they would give you your day's wage. And you would maybe swing by a store uh, on the way home and use that to buy some grain or some oil, and you'd go home and eat, and then you'd get up early the next day hoping and praying that you'd have another job, that you could find another uh, field to work in for that day to get paid. And workers would literally take that home every night. But by taking advantage of the laborers, withholding the pay, these landowners, like I said earlier, were not only just robbing, but they were starving families. And, and so these Jewish workers were under the oppression 
of these landowners, they were working hard and they weren't getting paid for it. And their families were starving. They were poor. There was no rainy day fund. They didn't have a stash in a little safe at home. Most of them at least. They were living not month to month like some of us do, but paycheck to paycheck, which was day to day. There was suffering involved in that. The haves were exploiting the have-nots for personal gain. Because who's that poor person going to go to? My, my boss didn't pay me. And you're living in another country? Who, who are they going to believe? Where's the help going to come from? And James says, I'll tell you where the help's coming from. Your cries have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The, the, the idea that God will be faithful and will judge those who are abusing his people was comforting or should have been comforting to those who read this originally. Judgment of these abuses is spoken of. God will judge those who financially oppress others. And so hopefully there was an encouragement that came to the faithful believers to hear this as most of them were under this similar oppression. The dispersed, right, workers. And, and these rich, were the, the rich landowners were withholding what was due to the workers. And God will not withhold the judgment due to the wicked rich. That's what we read here. Now, Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, uh, of the angels and the stars, this is God Almighty, right? This is a word that is used uh, to describe God and his power. Again, James is encouraging us to consider God's character, right? And, and to look at his behavior in comparison to those of the wealthy and the powerful of that day and age. God does not withhold forgiveness to any who call on his name, right? Any person who calls on Jesus Christ for their salvation, God does not withhold. He is generous, right? Regardless of social status, uh, color of skin, age, economic status, all the things that these landowners would have used against the Jewish workers, God ignores and lavishes his grace and mercy upon those who call on the name of his son. He is so different than the landowners of that day. And James wants us to see that. So fraudulent gain was the second thing. First we saw the hoarding, then the fraudulent gain. And, and here we see in these last couple of verses, uh, self-indulgence. We'll get to that in just a second. But it says, you have lived... On the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So self-indulgence is the third thing we see here. First off, James is not condemning having or experiencing something nice. Right? He does have harsh words here against luxury and indulgence, right? And, and over consuming. At the heart of what he's condemning here though is, is that lack of future perspective. 
I can spend what I have on myself, keep it for myself, and not worry about anyone else. That's what the rich landowners were doing. Again, apart from God, apart from the morality or, or the, uh, the idea of a, of a baseline, you, you have people who don't believe in God. They don't know how to process that there is, is a goodness in generosity. Beyond maybe leaving an inheritance for their children. And, and James goes straight to that. He says, you see no need other than your own rich landowners, and you have a fat heart. He says that these rich unbelievers have lived these lives of just wanton luxury, self-indulgence, wastefulness, extravagance. They had wasted their riches, not denying themselves anything, and they had gotten these big fattened hearts of desire. Mine, mine, mine. How can I get more? Well, I can have people work for me and then not pay them. I mean, this is where James is going here. Now picture a cow grazing, right? They're focused on grazing. They're eating. They're enjoying grain. They're enjoying their grass, right? Their focus of their day is eating. And these cow are oblivious to the coming slaughter that will take place. And like the cow, the slaughter is the destiny of the wicked people. Those who have gained uh, their, their fraudulent gain, who have stolen from the people who have worked for them. There will come a day when their luxury and their self-indulgence will turn to judgment and death. That's what James says here. There's an indifference to the condition and the experience of others. How could you have someone work for you knowing they have a family at home and then when it comes time to pay, you either give them less than you agreed on or nothing at all. But they were so driven by the desire to be rich that they were fattening themselves. The more that they had, the more that they needed while others were starving and had less than they needed. This can be convicting for you and I. Again, he's writing about the, the rich, unbelieving landowner. But do we need the things that we spend our money on? Do we need extra? Do we need more? Is that the kind of life that you and I are living? Are we always thinking about what we can do for ourselves? And again, our Father in heaven has the exact opposite attitude and perspective. Right? He gave He gives, but he gave. He gave his only son to come to earth to die for you and I. Jesus, his son, gave up his life. He gave up heaven when he came to earth and all the glory that he had in heaven to come down and live as a humble carpenter's son. He gave up the praise that was probably uh, reflected onto him daily in heaven. He gave that up in exchange for the mocking of his own people, the chosen people, the Israelites. He gave up the comfort and luxury of, of sitting next to the Father at his right hand in exchange for a criminal's cross. And the rejection of his Father at that moment when all the, the sins were heaped upon him. He chose poverty so that you and I could be rich, right? Are you seeing where we're going here? 
Our God, the one who has everything and deserves everything, continues to give. And yet people left to their own want to hoard, want to self-indulge, want to keep for themselves. And I say in light of this and, and the reality and the truth that's here, we need to praise God for his grace that he continues to lavish upon us. The fourth abuse, the final one we're going to look at is hostility and injustice. At the end here, James says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The rich unbelievers would use their wealth to secure influence in the legal system. Again, if you were getting ripped off and you went to the authorities, who do you think they're going to believe? You, the day laborer? Or the rich landowner. They're using their richer, uh, riches to make them more rich and to make the poor even more poor. It probably was again a desire of many of those workers to try to make it right, whether to sue them or, or to accuse them for what they were doing and, and yet no one would listen to them. And the rich were using their riches and influence to be destructive, antagonistic, and, and ultimately to create this culture of grave injustice. These six verses tell us so much and give us so much opportunity to apply these truths and principles even to our lives. Back in this day, the poor had no recourse. They were defenseless. They couldn't resist and stand up against the rich. And again, we just see so clearly how different, how different this is from the heart of God. And we can easily see what James has been talking about through the last four chapters in this passage. Jesus was a picture of what happened in this also in the sense that he was the righteous person unjustly convicted by a corrupt system. And yet we see the example of Jesus. He didn't resist. He was the condemned and, and ultimately murdered by the ungodly. And so we see James writing to the believers to encourage them that God sees you. God hears and God will be faithful in his justice against them. So as we, as we look at the application today, this, this final couple of minutes that we have, we kind of talked this week, it was like a day in the life of my dollars. If that was telling the story, right? Uh, assuming stuff is meant to be managed with biblical concepts. We've talked about that before. What do we do with our things? What do we do with our money? What do we do with our time? What do we do with our talents? If you were to talk to my dollars, if you had access to my bank account or my Dave Ramsey envelopes, what would those envelopes, what would those dollar bills tell you about the way Mark Miller spends his money? What would your money say about you? What would your things, what would your pantry full of food, your closet full of clothes, if they could speak, what would they say about you? We have an opportunity to either use or abuse what we've been given by God. What God has allowed us to have. 
And yet a lot of times we allow ourselves to fall into the same trap that the world does. If one shirt is nice, three is better. I need to have an extra pair of shoes. This one might get wet, right? And, and, and so on and so forth. And yet those small little decisions lead into the packed pantry with food going bad, the shirts that I haven't worn for a year. And so again, I don't preach this sermon. I don't bring this news to you to discourage you, but to encourage you to look at your riches differently. And again, I could have taken the time because some of you will say, hey, I'm not rich. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. We barely have enough to make our bills. Uh, And those things can all be true. And yet, if you look at the reality of us living in the United States, we are richer than 99.9%, not only of the world, but of the world that has lived before. In other words, we are mostly rich, whether we're being wise with what we have or not. Um, And so we need to take a passage like this and apply it to our own lives. James wanted you and I to know what we have been called to do. God wanted you and I to be know or to know what we needed to do. We can either abuse our riches. We can hoard and keep things for ourselves. We can look for opportunity to gain fraudulently. How can I make my taxes look a little bit better so I get a little bit more money back? Oh, the cashier gave me change for a 20, but I only gave a 10. Am I going to make that right? Fraudulent gain is all around us. The opportunities for that. And how are you and I as believers going to respond to those things? Self-indulgence. Are you a shoe guy like me? Do you have too many pairs of shoes? Maybe I can work in that area of my life. And then again, just understanding hostility and injustice, right? And that that you and your place of, of privilege and of wealth can treat people in ways that that God would not want us to treat people. The opposite of these things is kind of where I thought we should go this morning. The opposite of hoarding would be generosity. How can I give? God has challenged us to give, and, and, and if we do so, he'll take care of us. Help those around you, and he'll take care of you. And if that's the truth, can you and I grow in that way? fraudulent gain? Are we people who would look for every opportunity to make another dollar, to spend a dollar less, or are we people of integrity? Self-indulgence. Are you the person that wants more in every area of your life, or do you look to sacrifice? I could do it with a little bit less. I can go without that so that I could potentially bless someone else. And are we a people, you and I, that will use our resources given to us by God to help other people. I mean, that's what benevolence is all about. The, the idea of people helping people. Are we going to be a people who take our wealth, who take our riches, and not just the cash, but everything that we have, and are we going to abuse them or are we going to use them?